Welcome to Positive Talk Radio. Our goal is simple, to explore evolving ideas one conversation at a time. So stay with us as right now we present. I am so pleased I get to interview an entire three-generational family. And when you hear why they're here, you're going to be really as enthusiastic as I am to have them here. Um, they are a family of three dad, grandpa, his grandpa, I know it's hard to tell, but he's the one with the white hair. Um, (laughs) (laughs) although he has more white hair than I have hair. So, you know, that's good for, good for you, Michael. Michael Schnabel is his name. And, uh, he wrote the book, daddy's girl, and it is about his lovely daughter who's sitting to his right. And then, uh, Caleb who Caleb, is that right? Caden, Caden. I knew I'd screw it up. I'm sorry. So Caden <laughs> is the grandson, and uh, they're all tied together in a really unique story. But first, I want to um, welcome Michael back to the show. We interviewed you not too long ago. It was a great show. I highly encourage people go to positivetalkradio.net and listen to that one, and also listen to this one because this is going to be just as good. So welcome back to the show. I appreciate you. Thank you. I appreciate you, Kevin. Thanks for having us back and for letting these two uh, join me. We'll uh, see what that, uh, what happens. <laughs> oh, well, you know, I asked you if, uh, if your lovely daughter would, would want to participate with us. And I, you know, it's because the story revolves around her. Uh, I wasn't sure if she would be interested or willing, but I'm glad you're here. Thank you for coming. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm super excited to share the story. Um, this has been a labor of love, but um, I'm ready for it to be out there. It is impossible for people like me to understand what it all, what all you family, what all your family went through during the course of a particular five year period, and of course. The young one over here doesn't remember it because he was only weeks old when you guys got a devastating um, diagnosis. Talk a little bit about that. Um, so I became pregnant and found out in July of 2005 mm-hmm. and was super excited to be a first time mom. And, um, you know, went through my pregnancy. First trimester was great. You know the normal tired and all that kind of thing all that kind of stuff um but everything was going as planned and then i started having some issues in my second trimester and was hospitalized six times before i had caden and they ended up taking him three weeks premature because they weren't sure what was going on with me and um so two weeks after um he was born i well, 11 days after he was born, I was put back in the hospital um, for the issues that I was having before. They did a, um, I guess, a CT scan and um, found out that I had cancer. And um, so two weeks after he was born to the day, it was Valentine's Day of 2006, I was in the hospital getting my colon removed. So, um, yeah, we, it was a, a hard pregnancy and um but it was so worth it because i got him out of it and um the fight with, with the the battle with the cancer went as you know as expected and um i'm just glad to be able to be here to talk about it 
Well, now, I think you're downplaying it just a touch because the reality, <laughs> because what, what Michael told me and what's in the book is it was stage four. It yeah. was the, the life expectation of five years was not very good. Um, you had an aggressive form of uh, colon cancer, which they very rarely see in a 27-year-old person. And, yeah. and so all and, of that happened. Yes. And in fact, it was, um, it, it was devastating. I mean, when I found out my dad was up in the hospital room with Caden and um, the GI doc came over and he was like, you have colon cancer. And my first thought was, oh my God, do I need to make videos? So Caden remembers me. I didn't know if I'd make it. I mean, I had seen something on Oprah years and years and years ago about it a mom with cancer and she made videos for her kid. And so that's the very first thing that uh, went through my head in 8% chance of living. And I, I, I mean, I was beside myself, but my faith, my, my strength in my faith got me through it. I never questioned God. It was very much a, okay, I know the odds aren't looking great, but you know what? I can do it. I can get through this and um, we will, make it work um depending on the outcome you know at the time we didn't know i but i fought the battle very hard and did everything that i possibly could to continue my life to be here to raise this guy well you know your i've met your dad and i've talked to him in depth so i get it i get a sense for where your intestinal fortitude comes from yeah and, and your guts to be able to deal with this but still how did you deal with this? Everybody asks me that. Um, I just, you just do. You just, you deal with it one day at a time. Sometimes that's, you take a step forward and then you take three back the next day. And maybe the next day you take two steps forward and then you fall back a couple steps within a couple days. And you just keep plugging along. Um, like I said, I'm extremely strong, strong in my faith. And I really leaned on God in that time. It was it was a fight every step of the way, but, um, you know, we would set small goals. So it was like, um, if, you know, as I, I would go to chemo and I would have a couple of really hard days, but then as I started getting my energy back, it was like, okay, that's something to celebrate. I have more energy. Let's go out and let's, let's get a margarita, you know, let's do something small, um, to celebrate those, those little milestones. And I think that's ultimately part of what got me through as well, because if I looked at the, the whole picture of, I want to see him go to kindergarten, the anxiety took over, the, the fear took over. And I was like, I can't do that. We have to celebrate the little things every step of the way. Um, and so I think that is one of the things that did get me through. Um, and like I said, just my faith was so strong. I didn't question why is this happening to me? It was just that this is happening. My, to me, why, why wouldn't it happen to me? You know, if it happens to other people, why not me? And so I think I, I just kept plugging along with that whole thing as well. Um, and I, I was saved by the grace of God. I was saved. A lot of people can take a great deal from what you just said, because most people, I'm not gonna say most people, but a lot of people get a diagnosis like that. The first thing that they do is they get angry and they say, God, why me? Why did you do this to me? I'm just 27. I've got a, a brand new baby. I've got a full life. I've got a husband and all that stuff. And you didn't do that. No, that's, no, that's my, 
my mom's mom had ALS and passed away within two years of that diagnosis. And she never questioned why her. And I remember thinking after my diagnosis, if grandma can do this, I can do this. And I, I can't question God because again, why not me? Like, you know, this is my battle to fight and we can move forward with that. Um, it did take some help, um, you know, with, with my family and stuff, there's no way I could have done it by myself. Um, the, you know, we formed a team of five and that was my core group. And that's who I went to for everything, um, you know, for everything. So that helped as well. And it's funny because, you know, there was a lot of pain, there was a lot of challenges, but there was also some good things along the way. And when she could and she felt up to it, if she was strong enough, if the chemo wasn't taking her down too hard or she hadn't just had surgery, she was really trying to be a mom. And those were moments of escape for all of us, but especially for her. She would uh, take that child and she would escape. And we just kind of sat back in awe and watched a normal mom and a normal baby playing, even though it was a very abnormal situation. So she was, she did everything she possibly could to deal with the baby. She wanted to change the diaper. She wanted to do things. And there were times that it was very difficult for her. And there were times that she couldn't, but uh, she made the best of her opportunities. I've changed diapers when I was feeling good. <laughs> I can't imagine changing a diaper when you just got out of chemo or you're not feeling very good. Uh, that's got to be. <laughs> there were times when I could not change a diaper, but and I was still feeling well. I, how did you get through all that? You know, part of it, I had a lot of guilt because I was like, I should be doing this as a mom. This is my job. Like, I was on so many medicines at night, I couldn't get up with him because there was a situation where um, he woke up and I evidently got out of bed and got him out of the bassinet and handed him to my husband, Mark. And I don't have any recollection of that. And so it, it got to the point where there was so much guilt because I wanted, or I couldn't do what I was quote unquote supposed to do as a mom. And I wanted very much to have a normal, you know, a normal time with my baby after he was born. And I, I feel like at, at, at times I felt like that was stolen from me, but yet at the same time, I made the best of it because I had, I was able to stay home with him every single day of his life. Yeah. I may have been on chemo. Yeah. I may have been coming home with a chemo pump, but in all of that, like I was able to be there for him. Like I was able to live life with him and never missed a moment of his life. He went to chemo with me when he could. Um, you know, I got to the end of chemo or I guess probably midpoint of chemo and they started giving me the bigger room in the back with a bed so I could bring him up every single time I had chemo. Um, and so, you know, you just, you do what you can do and it, it's hard, but I did it, you know, cause I wanted to be a mom so bad. And I think that that's really kind of where everything came from. You know, you, you talk about there being a team of five. And there are two people that are not here uh, in, in, in the camera, but I'd like to acknowledge both of them. Let's start with, uh, um, let's, let's start with grandma. Mom, um, she was kind of our, she was a pediatric nurse. And so she knew all the medical background, like between my mom and my dad, 
we got the best care possible. We went to the hospitals we needed to go. And it wasn't always the first doctor we met. It wasn't always the first hospital we went to. And, um, but we had those resources available because of that. My mom, she was the caregiver of the family, always has been, always will be. Um, making sure everybody's fed, making sure the laundry's done, making sure um, Caden's got clean bottles, making sure, you know, just everything, you name it, and it was done. And there was no question. She spent hours and hours on the phone trying to get me into certain institutions, you know, to go for second and third opinions and, and that kind of stuff. And she always was there to pick up the slack wherever needed. Um, anything that I couldn't do as a mom kind of fell on her during the day while Mark was at work or if my dad was at work and on top of making those phone calls. Um, you know, they all kind of took turns going to chemo with me, but a lot of the times um, she would go with me. Um, in the times that we had emergencies where I was hospitalized, she always stayed back with Caden because, you know, she had that mom sense to her and, and dad and Mark would always go with me. Um, so she was always that one to pick up the slack with that, anything that I needed help as a new mom, you know, everybody talks about, well, I can, you know, I was calling my mom and this, that, and the other, well, we moved in with my parents for nine months. And so I had her right there, which was a godsend. I mean, we always talk about how God works in mysterious ways. And when we, Mark and I lived in Nebraska and when we moved back to Kansas city, I kept thinking, man, God's talking to me and I don't know what he's saying, but there's a reason that we're moving back to Kansas city. And I, truly believe that that is one of the reasons that we moved back here so they could be there in in this challenge in my life um but yeah and that, that's beautiful and, and that's that's great that grandma was in a position able physically and and able to do that um but there's one other person i wanted to mention and i think it bears an, an important piece and that is um your husband mark who um, I've been in a hospital recliner, um, when somebody was sick for a long time, they're not very comfortable. I'm five, eight, they fit me. But when you're six, four and trying to sleep in a recliner like that by the bed and you're trying to sleep at, at, at night, I, he deserves some kind of a medal for that. I got to tell you. Well, first of all, dad was wrong. He's six, five. Um, but, um, and, uh, that was one of the first comments of the interview was I'm six, five. And your dad knows that. No, I'm just kidding. Oh. <laughs> this is going to haunt me for years. <laughs> well, you know, he's not very old when he gets a little older, he will be six, four. I guarantee you that. So anyway, um, but no, Mark and I got married in 2003 and all of this happened in, Mark and I got married in May of 2003 and all of this happened in January and February of 06. And so we had not been married very long. And so having him go through this by my side of, oh my God, this is my best friend. This is my life partner. This is the mom of my child. The, you know, the, the fear that he went through of what am I going to do if I lose her? You know, what, how am I going to raise it? A child of myself and all of that stuff and um just the fear but yes he was by my side every single step of the way every time i was hospitalized even the six times before i had caden um he was with me every single step of the way he was in the recliners or you know when we got to mayo they um for my surgery they had an actual bed and that wasn't very comfortable but at least he had a bed 
and he wasn't in a chair, but he spent many nights in chairs. And it's funny because he's an architect. And so his, the joke was always, Hey, we're going to put you in the hospital, hospital rooms because they were doing a bunch of VA and hospital work. And so um, he's like, I can tell you what was wrong with every hospital room, what was right with every hospital room, you know, cause that's just the way his mind thinks. But yeah, he truly, he was, by my side every single step of the way you know he was working a full-time job and at night would come home and we always said Caden had a witching hour at like five o'clock at night where he would like go off the rail and I'm like okay Mark here you go here's Caden like he's all yours and so Mark would take him and settle him down and you know spend time with him we'd usually go up to my room and spend some family time alone um and then at night he would stay up and put him down and, you know, work till midnight, get a couple hours of sleep, get up with him in the middle of the night and, you know, get up, rock him, feed him, change him, put him back down and then get up at six o'clock to go back to work. Um, which is part of the reason we moved in. So he could have that extra help. Um, and he wasn't doing it all by himself, but he absolutely, I mean, I, I cannot imagine what he was feeling because I know how I, how scared I was but he was looking at it from what if I don't have my wife and he wasn't going and he was going to be okay and he's going to live. And without you, that would have been really hard. You know, it's, it's the testament of what you are as a family. It really comes through with the way um, like uh, grandma was and Mark was um, because it would have been real easy for Mark. And it happens all the time when somebody gets a, diagnosis like you got that they say oh i'm out i can't do this this is this is too much for me and he was right there every step of the way and uh so he deserves a medal did does he get a medal every now and again <laughs> at least a cup of ice cream yes <laughs> absolutely yeah um you know it's funny because we had we were at um a funeral and he had met my uncle for the first time that lived in florida and um he never met him before and he was like mark I knew you were, I, I don't, I'm meeting you for the first time, but I knew you were always a great guy. And Mark's like, really had to know that. And he goes, cause you never left Steph's side when she was sick. You never questioned leaving. You never, you know, you stayed by her side the entire time. You, you fought through the battle. You fought through the hard nights, the long nights, the hospital stays, everything. And you never, you never left her. And he was always looking for more things to do. Yeah. He always wanted to support not only Stephanie, but also and Stephanie and the baby, but also Clean and I. So anything that he could do, he did. And he was on deadline at times. Sometimes he worked 24 hour days. Uh, he's um, he's a wonderful man to have in our family. Yeah. Well, that 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 is so cool that you guys are so close. And and uh, young one, I haven't talked to you yet, and I thought I would uh, bother you for a second if I could. Right. <laughs> now, you were just a baby when all this happened, and you were five when she got a she got a remarkable, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, but we got a remarkable um, conversation with the doctor. And uh, But do you remember any of those early days at all? Um, honestly, I remember bits and pieces of like my first memories of playing cars on the hospital floor, looking at the hospital fish tank. Those are some of my earliest memories, but I don't rem remember much, honestly. Well, well, you, you, that's, you were five. 
And most, most kids don't remember much. I have, you know, a sprinkling of memories when I was five, but most of it is six, seven, and eight is when you start keeping those memories. So, uh, and I know that you and your mom have um, worked quite a little bit over the course of time to bring you up to speed on everything that happened. And there was a diary um, or a, a journal that was written prior to the book. By the way, we're talking with uh, Michael Schnabel and family, and uh, it, they've written the book that comes out in March, which is called Daddy's Girl. And uh, I get, just get tingles when I think about all you guys have done in the book and the wonderful positive outcome that has happened and uh, you, that you're all still here and you're all still together. And by the way, if you want to go to his website, go to authormichaelschnabel.com. And you can find out all about him, uh, Stephanie, and and the kids, and 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 everything everything that they are about. It's it is truly remarkable. And uh, um, and, and now, Steph, you wrote the um, you wrote the the start of the journal, and your dad started the journal. And what was your motivation behind beginning the journal? So when I was hospitalized, one of the times before I had Caden, we didn't know if we were having a boy or a girl, and so. One of my night nurses had said, hey, are you journaling to the baby at all? And I was like, well, what do you mean by that? And she's like, well, just are you journaling like what's going on in the world right now? Um, you know, just so they'll have something to look back on and be like, oh, this was going on in the world when I was before or before I was born. And so I I had not been. And so I was kind of like, well, that's kind of a cool thing to do. And so I just started journaling to Caden, not necessarily or to what we called him peanut at the time, because we didn't know if we were having a boy or a girl. And, and at one point he was the size of a peanut. And so that's where kind of that came from. But um, we, so I started journaling to him and um, I, I mean, it, it was just like little things like dear peanut, we're at the hospital again. They think we're going to take you home this time, but I don't think so. And stuff like that. Um, also at that time, I truly believed that I had, colon cancer. There was not a doubt in my head. I had not told anybody about it. Um, but I did journal to him about it. And, you know, I was scared to death. I'm like, I think it's colon cancer and they're telling me different, but I, I, I truly believe it. And so that is one of those things that came out in the journal. And I, had, you know, so I just kind of journaled to him about that. I journaled to him about, you know, what was going on. You know, we had been back in the hospital and then we went back home. And so I was journaling about, you know, we're getting ready for you and that kind of, that kind of stuff. And then it got to a point, like after he, <coughs> excuse me, after he was bo born, I kept the journal up as long as I could. And then it just got so much for me to um, continue writing because I was getting so weak. Mark journaled in that as well. Um, in fact, one of my favorite one of my favorite journal entries was probably one of the hardest for Mark to write. He wrote it, I think the day of my surgery and he literally turned the journal upside down and he was like, or he's like, Caden, our world was flipped upside down today um, and wrote it that way. And so Caden um, hasn't seen those journals yet. Um, he just, just cause we haven't shared them with him yet. Um, but yeah, I, I journaled to him. And then as I couldn't journal anymore. That's when dad picked up and, and started journaling. And it, it was a good way for us to get our thoughts down on paper and just kind of get out of our own head as well, just to document what was going on at the time as well. That's, that's really cool. By the way, Peanut, can I call you Peanut? 
<laughs> yeah, he's been called worse. <laughs> oh, so how tall are you? Uh, right now I'm six two. I get all my height from my dad, but she holds me back just a bit. <laughs> well, and I I gotta ask you because you're seventeen or sixteen, seventeen. You just turned happy wow. birthday, by the way. Thank you. And you do you do have a girlfriend who they have decided that if that you're leaving before she does, which is nice. <laughs> um, and and, uh, um, and so now you you know, being of your age, you understand what it, what it is to be caring for somebody and loving for somebody. Can you imagine what your dad went through in all of that? Um, because it was a brand new marriage and a brand new baby and, and he was a responsible one. And, and, and that's just amazing to me that it was so hard. Um, when I, I read the book and the parts that like really hit me most is when it's my dad or my papa that I had to walk away from my mom going surgery. Like that really like, like shocked me. Like I really felt that because I'm very a protecting person. I always want to protect my friends and I don't know how they did it. I, I just truly have no clue how they could have done it. It, it. it is really remarkable. And by the way, I understand that uh, you and your mom have a very close relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is, which is, by the way, for a 17 year old guy, that really is unique. <laughs> yeah. Because my, when I, my kids were 17, I was dumber than a stick. I promise you. And, uh, I did. I didn't get any smarter until I was about. They were about twenty eight, and they said, "You know, you're not so bad after all, Dan." So anyway, but uh, I, I think it's great. And and uh, and Michael, I just you know, your whole family. You must. I you know. I think I touched on it the last time, but I just got to ask you again uh, for this audience. You must be proud as hell of everybody and how it's come out. You know, I am, and um, it's a selfish thing. <clears throat> to be honest with you, we, my wife and I met at a very young age and we really wanted to be in our kids' world. We wanted to go ahead and know what was going on with them and we loved them so much and they were such a great part of our lives that we just maintained that relationship and we respected our kids. We did a lot of things um, maybe differently. We let our kids make a lot of mistakes when they were earlier, when they were young. We gave them a lot of responsibility and held them accountable for that. And then would go ahead and let them know that there are choices that you make and you have to live with those choices. And so we gave them the opportunity to fail and to stumble. And we were always really, really honest with them. So when they made the mistakes, they were small mistakes. And then they learned from those mistakes and they grew. And I think because of that, respect that we showed them and the uh, fact that we helped lay our foundation of our uh, of our beliefs, of our morals uh, with them and shared those things. We were honest with them. When they got to be teenagers, we talked about the fact, hey, you're going to be around liquor. How are we going to handle that? How are you going to handle that? There was no questions they couldn't ask. It was such an open family. And I, I say the selfish just because we wanted to keep that bond throughout our lives. And so, yeah, I am proud of the family, but it is, uh, it's come to us so naturally. We, um, we were just, we've just been very, very poor, uh, fortunate. But as you know, relationships take work and it starts with communication. And as you grow through that, you 
grow trust, you grow respect, you grow the need for each other. And, um, and that's what we've got. We're real lucky. So what's the title of the next book that's going to be about raising kids? <laughs> uh, that's a very good question. Because I, I think I think what you what you just said resonates with a lot of people, and they a lot of people wish that they could do that. Yeah. Um, and if they knew that ahead of time, they would want to do that because it's a better way of of raising kids and a better way of of being. So, Steph, was your dad is everything that I think he is? He truly is. Yeah, you know it's funny because when when he was talking about that, like about raising us and stuff, that's exactly how Mark and I as raised Caden as well. Like, I think that's why our relationship is so close um, is because we are open and honest with him. Like it's everything's out on the table. You can ask anything, you know, we, we will be a hundred percent honest with you and um, it, it just works. Um, but yes, my dad is exactly everything you think he is. Um, he is the glue that holds the family together. Um, I know he said last week he was not, but he completely is. Um, and he, um, I mean, I couldn't have done it without him. Like he, I am, my dad and I have a super, super close relationship. Um, and it, I mean, there, I mean, there were times that I flat out asked him, am I going to die? There were times that I, you know, flat out asked him, you know, what's going to happen to me. And he was always honest. It was always, it was never, Oh yeah, you're going to make it. Yeah. You, you know, it was very much a, honey, I don't know. I, I don't know how to answer that. And it wasn't just one time. There were several times that that conversation came up. And um, so, you know, because of that honesty and because of the relationship we have, like he just, um, he's super special. There are people that are asking if they're not commenting in, they're still wanting to know, Steph, how are you feeling today? I am great. Um, and I celebrated 16 years cancer-free in July. So, um, you know, Caden just had his birthday yesterday. So it's, it's a very bittersweet time because it's him growing up and me being further from cancer, but it's also him getting ready to fly the coop. Um, and so, but yes, I am doing well. Um, I have had no reoccurrences, nothing. I, I have colonoscopies every year. I have three to six polyps every year. They said I'm just a polyp producer and they're all precancerous. And so um, I do have to have that every year, but um, I am, I'm doing great. I had a colonoscopy three years ago. I wouldn't wish that upon anybody. Uh, so <laughs> I hate well, the, I hate that liquid, you know, that anyway. So. Well, my colon, my, I only have, they took out five and a half feet of my colon. So I, my prep is very different than most people's prep. So I just do a clear liquid diet and a couple of other things, and then I'm good to go for the next day. Well, you know, and I, I they actually had had to go in and take six inches of mine, um, and it it was um, I feel I feel so much better than than I did for most of my life. Um, so you know, I applaud you, and I applaud the medical science to be able to do what they were able to do for you. Absolutely. And, and you're right about the prep for a colonoscopy kind of being a pain. But I tell you what, it's nothing compared to having colon cancer. And uh, colon cancer is very preventable if we catch it early. So um, we, we're real cautious about saying how bad they are because uh, we find that they can be life-saving. 
And so if you are a certain age and your doctor is saying, get a colonoscopy, do it. It's not that big of a deal. I, I, there are comics that make jokes about, you know, prepping for a colonoscopy and, and stuff like that. And it's like um, one of them was saying that uh, he had um, um, a seatbelt installed for for his toilet. So that, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 Ah, uh, that's that, that's just not appropriate. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, it's not yeah, and I don't. I don't mean to get all serious on you, but it uh, it touches people's lives. Well, in, you know, Katie Kirk, if I'm not mistaken, she lost her husband to to yeah. colon cancer, and and she is a very strong advocate, and I agree with that. In that, if you have a history of it, you need to get checked before you're 50, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, they're getting to the point where they're saying that now and you, and you need to get checked more often for it because it's, you're not going to know until um, it gets in, to the point where it's starting to affect your daily life. And that's when you discover it. it isn't that happened is what happened to you, Steph? Yeah. So I, you know, I hadn't had any symptoms um, and I started having rectal bleeding and abdominal pain. And I was like, what, what, what's going on? And um, they they hospitalized me and found out that I had two polyps and a bleeding ulcer, and that was that. And we'll scope you after you're done being pregnant because they couldn't do a full colonoscopy because they would have thrown me into preterm labor at 26 weeks. So um, yeah, I wasn't having, or I, I started having symptoms. And you always have to listen to your body, like your body knows best. And I had doctors telling me it can't be colon cancer, and you know I'm like, okay, you know. I, but I kept fighting through it and listening to my body and yeah. Well, it's, and if, if you're just tuning in and listening to this story, she is 16 years cancer-free. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yep. And, and so it's, and, and she's got a one, by the way, now that you are a little older and, uh, um, and Steph, what, what, what plans do you have since you now I know that when when you got the diagnosis, making plans for the future probably seemed like a pipe dream. But now that all that's done, what are your plans for the future? What are you going to do with yourself? I don't know. I don't know. No. Um, well, we got to get this one off to college next year. So that's that's the first thing that we are looking at doing. And then I don't know. I would love to travel, you know, just things like that. Um, I, you know, I've been involved with different um situations where I've gone out and I've talked about colon cancer and um, talked about, I've done different talks for different people and stuff. I was in one of the KU magazines for um, colon cancer and I would, it, it's kind of, it's a double-edged sword in a way because I love to go out and share my story with people. And I love to go out and promote that you need to take things seriously. But at the same time, I have survivor's guilt. Like um, I know people that have, passed away personally in my graduating high school class that didn't make it. And that is very, very hard. It's a hard pill to swallow of, well, why did I make it? And they didn't make it or whatnot. Um, so that is part of that double-edged sword. I mean, it's like, I want to do it, but at the same time, sometimes it causes so much anxiety that it's hard to move forward with that. Um, just because, Again, like I said, why did I make it and the next person didn't? And if I made it, do they really want to hear about somebody who did? 
you know you i believe that you made it and it's as as michael says in his book so well that it's about the family it's about the love that you guys had for each other and the support that you offered each other that i, I and i hate to say this but it's kind of rare uh, that you have uh, a family that is so supportive nobody fell away nobody uh, lost their mind everybody you you just move forward you did what you had to do and yeah. steph you're an incredibly brave human being and uh and uh, uh peanut you must be real proud of your mom and dad i am really am. so what are you what are you gonna go to college for any idea um, i want to go to college for business and economics but i'm also hoping to play soccer in college are you, are you a, a good soccer player in high school? Uh, I, I like to think so. He plays <laughs> on a really competitive club team. Um, they actually went to nationals last year and were uh, finished in the final four of nationals for soccer last year. So um, they're a really good team. And so hoping that maybe he could continue that when he moves on to college. And uh, by the way, there is scholarship money available for uh, uh, athletes of your quality. So yeah. I would be pursuing that if you if you haven't already. I'm sure you're already doing that. I am. Mark's all yeah. over that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's, it's it's either that or it's coming out of his pocket. So I bet you he's all over that. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So, so, but you know, I got to I got to tell you, it's. Uh, you know, being being seventeen, oh darn! I wish I was seventeen again. But to be seventeen and with everything that you've got to look forward to, wh where do you see yourself being? And when you're thirty years old, forty, I know that that's incredibly old, thirty years <laughs> old. But wh where do you see yourself being? Um, I don't know yet. I mean, I do want to pursue like the whole soccer route, but I, of course, I know I'm that like one injury away from it going away. So I still keep up with my like my uh, schoolwork, and uh, I really want to get to like business, and like hopefully maybe one day like own a few businesses, get I money talk. Not to say I want to uh, just pursue business and all that. Yeah, well, I've got uh, I interviewed a guy just the other day that was a professional basketball player overseas, and he did that for eight years. He made enough money to be able to open up a, a string of uh, daycare centers in Dallas, Texas. And uh, he's, um, they're doing really quite well. And I have another story of a guy that I um, played baseball with in, in high school and he had a, a 93 mile an hour fastball. He was a left-hander and wow. he was the first, first round draft choice of the first round of the San Diego Padres. They had the first pick and they picked him and he never made it to the major leagues. Mm -hmm. And so you never can tell what that is. So my advice to everybody is uh, dream for the dream for the stars, but prepare for life because yeah. it's, it's going to happen. And even, even if you're a great athlete, um, you still got to figure out what you're going to do after 30, 35 or something like that. So, it's so funny, Kevin. Uh, I remember asking the same question that you did of, of Caden and asked him what he wants to do with his life. And at that time he said, well, I first want to get a Chipotle franchise. <laughs> and then as soon as that thing starts making money, I'm going to go out and buy another franchise and invest the money in that. And then as soon as that starts making, and he had it all laid out, uh, he was going to go get a half a dozen franchises and, and uh, hire some managers, and he was going to sit back and eat all the food. 
This kid loves Monopoly. Yeah. Well, I, I will tell you, I grew up in the restaurant business. I, I started as a graveyard dishwasher with Denny's uh, when I was your age or a little bit older than you. And uh, over the course of my career, I was a national sales manager for a major food company. And oh, so cool. you can you can make it happen if you, if you do it. If you believe in yourself and you believe what you're capable of and you're willing to work for it, you can. I believe that you can make anything happen. And so... Yeah. Congratulations, but don't and don't be hard on yourself. This is just me talking. Don't be hard on yourself if you can't figure out what you want to do, but by the time you're 22, because I I don't know hardly anybody who knows what they're gonna how they're gonna spend their life when they're 22. Right. So, but enjoy enjoy your family, enjoy your time. It's 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 really is remarkable, and and uh, um, it's it really is a pleasure and to talk to you to you folks and and I wanted to give you guys each an opportunity before we wrap up to uh, tell our audience because it's not it's really rare that we get three generations of a of a family that's not only a great author the book is coming out in March it's it's called uh, Daddy's Girl and it is a great work that you need to pick up. You can pre-order it now. Go to uh, uh, authormichaelschnabel.com, and you can get the, and you can get the book there. Um, and you're a cancer survivor. You're a, a soccer player of note, so you are a, a really are a, a great family. But we'll start. We'll start with the elder one, um, um, Michael. If you could give our audience any advice about, I don't know cancer diagnosis raising a family keeping everybody together how how would you recommend people do that you know i think it always uh, starts out with love i think that as you take a look at life <clears throat> love is something that is so critical uh finding a mate finding someone that you can spend your life with is a gift and so when you find that you really need to go ahead and cherish it and work hard at it uh, my wife and I have a very strong marriage, but it's because we have communication. It's because we have worked very, very hard to go ahead and to show our love to each other, to help each other. And it just grows from that. And our family grew from that. So I think if you really want to make a difference in this world, take a look at the people that are close to you, show them love, help them when you can. And, uh, if we all just help a few other people, and that was multiplied out throughout the world. We could really make a difference in the world. I couldn't agree more. And we're going to, we ought to make a little short out of that because now somebody is listening and watching this presentation. You must have sent somebody along and let me, let me share this with you guys. Who is Mucky? No, I don't know. I'm news to me. Really? Yep. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I hope, well, He's he's back, I, you know. Occasionally, when I do these, I get I get uh, uh, folks that uh, uh, don't need to be uh, te texting in and doing stuff. So, <laughs> I don't know, but we'll just we'll just pretend that that's no longer there. So we'll just kind of do this, and okay, there you are. Bye bye. Um, so, um, Steph. Yeah. Anything that you would like to tell our audience about about you the cancer that oh i i know before you go there i wanted to to um i wanted to touch bases with one of the things that i think had a major impact in saving your life and that is you went to an oncologist and he wasn't the right fit 
And then you went to another one who was a young lady who said, you can do this and we can do this differently than the other guy was going to do it. Cause he was a one, one, one size fits all kind of guy. And, and she was, and she said, we're going to take you to the brink and bring you back. And then that's, what's going to save your life. Is that kind of how that worked? Did I get that right, Michael? Yes. And so what was that feeling like for you knowing when she said to you, we're going to take you really close to death's door and then we're going to bring you back. Um, it was scary because I had, I mean, I had just gotten the diagnosis. This was in, I mean, this was probably two weeks after surgery, three weeks after surgery. Um, and I walked into, well, first of all, I'd, I'd walked into her office and, and she's like, well, what did they tell you about the spots on your liver? And I was like, I don't know that it may not be cancer. She's like, well, I think it's cancer. So that would move you into stage four. And I was like, okay. And she's like, but she's like, we have some things that we would like to try. And the thing is, is that we are going to take you, we're going to put this stuff in your veins and it's going to take you all the way um, to, to the point that we almost kill you. And then we will bring you back. And the thought of that, the thought of the side effects, the thought of anything like that, just, it was so scary, you know, because you see, like you see documentaries, you hear about people getting sick and throwing up and not being able to move because there's so much pain and involved and there's so much um, anxiety and stuff involved. And so I was, I mean, it, it immediately, it scared me. Um, then she also had mentioned, and we're going to have this drug in reserves as a backup. And it didn't really dawn on me until later that what they did the first time may have not worked. And I never really, cause I never really let myself go there. And I never really thought that what we were doing wasn't going to work. It was never an option that it wasn't going to work. And so later down the road, I was thinking, Oh my gosh, this may not work. And my dad and I had a full blown conversation about that. And um, just, you know, how scary that moment was. Um, I had, in fact, I had walked in there with Caden and I was holding him. We were, I mean, when I walked in there, you know, she saw the baby and she, she was a mother herself. She is a mother herself. And it was that thing of, okay, she's young. She's a new mom. We have to save her life. Like there wasn't an option. It was like, we're, we're going to save her and I'm going to do everything in our power to save her. And so just the the fear and everything that came along with it. But we left that appointment and there was such, I don't want to say a real sense of peace, but there was a sense of peace. She was one of my angels. She was one of those people that came into my world and helped me through the hardest time in my life. And so um, as scary as it was, I knew I always had her along the way. I always had her to answer questions or just to lean on or if, if I just needed a shoulder to cry on, she was there. I mean, I, she was absolutely amazing. So, um, my, I, I mean, we, we meshed immediately, you know, we went to that first appointment and the five of us went and it, you know, a couple of us thought, yeah, I think that, that, that would be a good fit. And then the other couple were like, mm, nope, I don't think that's going to be a good fit. Let's go get a second opinion. And thank God we did because, um, she was, she was one of our angels. In fact, I, I reached out to her last week after dad's interview and sent her the, um, sent her the video so she could watch it. So, Oh, thank you. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. The other thing that happened, I think, uh, 
that's important to realize is we were all afraid of the chemo because we knew the side effects, we knew yeah. all the problems. And I think this doctor helped Stephanie change her attitude towards the chemo from being afraid of it to looking at it as a tool, yeah. a tool that she could use to fight the cancer. And that those little things in changing your attitude and the way you look at things can make all the difference in the world. Indeed, indeed. Stephanie, I'd like you to, we have to wrap it up here in a minute, but I'd like you to tell our audience anything that you would like them to know about anything. Um, I don't, that, that's a, that's a big ask. Um, I, uh, um, well, I but you see, here's the, here's the thing. The reason I bring that up and I wanted to get your opinions and, and thoughts on it is because there aren't a lot of people that have gone through what you've gone through, came out the other side. So you've been through all the emotional turmoil and stuff. And a lot of people end up passing away. And you came out the other side. It's with your family and all of that. So you have a really unique perspective. And and that's it's something that you that you can use to help people get through some of these things, at least to give people hope that uh, there is a way to get through it. You know, I think one of the things that we did is you have to take every moment and stop and smell the roses. I know that sounds so cliche, but like you have to find the positive in every single day. You have to keep pushing through. Um, even if you take those two steps back, you have to keep going because there is more ahead of you to live for. And um, I think that that's probably one of the biggest things that I, that I learned out of this, you know, find little things to celebrate along the way. Um, don't ever give up. Don't ever give up. Put your faith in God. Um, if I didn't have God by my side, there's no way I would have made this. You know, I would have made it. And he has something bigger for me to do in life. And I don't know what that is, but he saved me for a reason. And I guess that would probably be one of the the biggest things that I can tell other people, you know, your positive attitude is huge. Um, in fact, that's one thing that one of the doctors told me, he said, what I'm putting in your veins is only part of what's saving you. The fact that you have a family surrounding you that you do the support system, you do the faith in God that you have, what was the third thing? Uh, <laughs> and your positive attitude, um, you know, everything, all three of those things are, so much more than what I'm putting through your veins. So it's, it's, it's vital that, that, that everything that you do, you have a positive attitude about, um, because it, it changes stuff. It, it actually, when you get into quantum physics and some of those things, they say it changes your vibration and all that kind of, I, I truly believe that, mm. that if you, if you, and with it, with the help of your creator and the folks around you, and it was almost for you, it was almost like a perfect storm. You yeah. had, you had the faith, you had the family, you had the belief, you had, you had the doctors and congratulations. You, yeah. you are too important to this world to have gone so early. Thank you. So, uh, Mr. Peanut, <laughs> <laughs> um, you're 17 years old and I know that you are in school and you're looking around, um, I hope you're, and I think, I believe that you're planning on making a difference in the world. What is it like being a 17 year old in 2023? I can't imagine. It's just crazy. Like with school, athletics, friends, and like all the technology you have, it's crazy, to be honest. 
and and you're you're doing fine with all of that. I mean, when I to, to be honest with you, when I was 15, uh, I came home from school one day and there was a police car sitting in front of my house, and these two policemen <laughs> were talking to my dad because I had done something rather stupid. Um, so and I'm I'm glad that you didn't have that experience. We want to hear more about that. <laughs> <laughs> My kids don't even know about it. no. That's that's, that's not true. I've, I've told them. I've told them that story. It, well, it had to do with uh, uh, MD twenty twenty. I don't know if you know what that is. Yes. Um, MD twenty twenty and two friends and way too much of that in in in, uh, in the schoolyard. So <laughs> and so the the, the un, unlike I think you would have handled it differently, Michael, if, if, if you'd have been the parent, because I, when they came and as I walked upstairs, they said, we don't know if this is a regular occurrence, Mr. McDonald, but we just want to stop by and make sure that, and, and make sure that he's not, you know, because they thought they might show up drunk again. And, uh, and so um, when they left, my, my dad was just sitting there and rather than saying, okay, you and I need to have a discussion about what's going on and stuff. He just looked at me and said, well, did you get sick? <laughs> and I did all over the place, but I said no, and he said too bad, and that's the last he'd ever said anything about it. <laughs> I'm sure you would have handled it differently. Um, so, but, but I want to thank the three of you for being here. It's it's been my ultimate pleasure to do this interview. There aren't very many times I can get to say that, but this is one of them. And uh, I want everybody to go get the book, um, Daddy's Girl. Um, it comes out in March. You can pre-order it now. Go to authormichaelschnabel.com and uh, find out more about him and get the, get the book. It means something. It has a lot of value, to, and it will have a lot of value to a lot of people. The reviews, Michael, are coming in really good, are they not? Yeah, they really are. Uh, Kirkus is uh, considered the gold standard by many people, and we got an excellent review from them. And um as I said uh, the last time we talked, it kind of validated my uh, writing skills and, and made me feel good about that. But it's such an important story, I think. And it's not a gloomy story. It's a story that's uh, uh, just like we sat here. We talked about a lot of serious things, but we joked around too. And so I think that people will be entertained by the book. And there's a lot of life lessons in there. There's a lot of things that we learned along the way. And um, that was one thing that was really fun for me is to put these life lessons in there because I, something I wanted in my life growing up is someone to mentor me maybe a little bit more and, and teach me things like that. And this was a golden opportunity when we would run into these really difficult situations and we'd find a way out of it that was intelligent and that was positive and tried to deal with it. And then I could pass this on to my grandson. And so that was a, that was a, a beautiful part of it. And the book can be ordered not only off my website, but it's a, you can order through any bookstore uh, worldwide. And uh, Amazon's got it, uh, Barnes & Noble. Uh, it's it's uh, available in a lot of places. And if you are a doctor and you're an oncologist, I would get that book and to have a stack of them in your, in your lobby. And so that people can pick them up. Uh, I think it's a wonderful suggestion because we really looked for something that would kind of help us along the way because we weren't sure what to do in the very beginning. And uh, we searched for that. And I think this book will help a lot of people. It, it will. And it's, it's, you're not done yet. You have to write more. And, uh, and Steph, you have to help him write more. And oh, wow. 
you know, and uh, and then 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 we can all go to Chipotle and we can go to your restaurant. <laughs> oh yeah, because you're gonna have a string of them. Oh and, yeah, or do or you're gonna do, and they they have fresh food there too, and be, you're gonna do anything you want to do. Um, to be to be 17 and to be grounded and to have a good family like you do. Oh, the world is your oyster and the sky's the limit, and. Uh, <sighs> Makes me feel old. Anyway, I want to thank the three of you for being here. It's been my ultimate pleasure. I've got another interview I have to go do, but I would sit here and talk to you for hours. But but I want to thank you all three for being here. Um, it's been my pleasure. And, Michael, you're going to come back. And, Steph, and, and you guys are all welcome to come back. <laughs> I'd like to talk to Mark. I think that would be a fun conversation. <laughs> but uh, um, you're going to come back in March prior to the book's release. Sure. So that we can, so that we can uh, highlight it, because I think this book needs to be on every coffee table in every house in America. You're very kind, Kevin, and thank you so much for the great questions and for being uh, so kind to us and letting us come on your show. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Kevin. I appreciate it. We have had a bunch of people that have been listening in, and uh, and there are going to be more to follow. And so I want to thank you all three for being here. If you wait right there, I will be right. Hey, thanks for enjoying this episode all the way to the end. Please give us a like and subscribe to this channel. This has been a production of PositiveTalkRadio.net. Please visit our website, oddly named PositiveTalkRadio.net, for more details about us and our mission, which is to provide great positive programming designed to inspire us all. I'm Kevin McDonald, and I'm proud of these shows, and I truly hope that you'll like them and share them with friends and family. So on behalf of our entire team, remember... Be kind to one another because each other's all we got.